This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. Today is a special episode recorded the second day of Build 2016. John Bristow will be your host. He's interviewing Richard Campbell from .NET Rocks. I'm here with the one, the only, Mr. Richard Campbell. How are you, sir? Well, John Bristow, as I live and breathe. <laughs> exactly, in the flesh. Up from the southern hemisphere. The world's basement. <laughs> You're walking in the wrong direction. I know. Everything's Coriolis backward. effects got you. Oh, no. it's bad. It's bad. The toilets are confusing. Yeah, it's it's getting reclimatized to everything. The accents, the money. The... I hope people know that you're actually a Canadian, yes, right? Like yes. this whole Aussie thing. Well, you married a Kiwi, which who can resist Kiwi? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I do get a lot of questions about it though, because I'm I have to explain it and it becomes a big sort of five minute conversation about how I ended up there and I don't know, maybe I ended up on a boat. I don't know. Something yeah. involved in no, that. No, you did it for the right reason. Yes. You promised your wife you would and you did. Yes, I know. Makes you a good man. First mistake. How's Bill going? Ah, oh, wow. Crazy show, huh? Yeah. Very you know, five thousand of your closest friends yes. all screaming and yelling. Crammed into one place. Sold out in 20 minutes flat or so, something yeah. insane like that. So, uh, yeah, been in all the keynotes. Uh, of course, with .NET Rocks, we had a certain amount of knowledge coming in. Yeah. So we'd had a chance to, like, record with Nat and Miguel from Xamarin. Yep. So that we had a deep dive that we could release literally as the keynote dropped on Thursday, which was really fun, you know, to be holding on to a show and then there you go. You guys must just love that, you know, having that sort of little bit of inside access and then pressure. Yeah. Right? You don't want to, you know, you don't want to be the reason it leaks. Yes. Like that's a big deal. Yes. To get that right. So, so there's so a lot of trust with you guys. It's a lot of trust and a lot of taking it very seriously that yeah. we want to do that right. We don't want to spoil anything. And there's an argument about, is it actually important to be released that close? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I've heard from listeners, they, they like that we had a, you know, you only got 10 minutes on stage. So to get a good hour to really talk about what does this mean, having Xamarin part of, of Studio and part of Microsoft and going forward, what is it really going to do for the way we build software? Let me ask you this. What was your initial reaction before the, the keynote and all that sort of stuff? Right. But to the, when you guys heard like, okay, we got to get Miguel on the show because of what's going to be dropped. When you got that word of, okay... Xamarin's gonna be well. The first we heard was the acquisition. Right, right. we found out like everybody else when they acquisition. Yes, and so right away you start projecting what is this okay. Mean, yeah, right? yeah. And so and then, then what happens? Then, tell me, tell me, give me inside access to the so .NET then Rocks you, perspective. You sort of reach out to the folks that are involved okay. and say, "Hey guys, what I'm thinking is I do this." And and I mean, fortunately for us now, we've been doing this for 13 years, yeah. so they know we can do a simul release properly. We, right. we've never leaked and we never will. Right. And uh, and so we just go through the process of talking to all the right people, and we know Nat Miguel. Yes. You know, we've had him on the show bunches of times. Yes. So in that ways, is you know, it's kind of luxurious to just really be interviewing your friends. But you personally, what was your initial response to the? Oh, my oh, reaction. Was, yes, I'm like. I, I thought it was a holy cow. Like, I was all on board two years ago right. when everybody thought they were going to be acquired, and they weren't, right? They, you know, because there, there was two things I thought were important there. One was, like, it doesn't really buy Microsoft anything to acquire Xamarin per se okay. in, the old, in the old days. Yeah. You know, that they're, all, they're already fully committed to C Sharp. All of that's good. The .NET Foundation addressed, I thought, was the principal issue, which was corporations are not going to bet on software from a small co startup company. You know, all of us know Miguel right. for decades right. as, a, as an important software guy, and we would trust him to do the right thing no matter what, but the average corporation doesn't know that. Right. So the foundation took care of that problem. So I thought, you know, two builds ago, they did the right thing. They did it well. But, I mean, we know as well as anybody, the market's changed. We shifted. We're, we're much closer relationship with the diversity of the, of the phones these days. 
and we want to build better tools, you know, I would argue even more important than Xamarin's in the box was that iOS emulator, right? You know, the big concern for a lot of folks these days when we're talking to developers that are building software for phone is that code build test cycle you takes a, too long. Yeah, and you also need a build lab of some sort. And you know? you, yeah, well, and, and Miguel referenced it in the keynote, right? You need the swivel chair. Yes. you got to spin around <laughs> to the other machine. I thought that was quite good. It was yeah. very clever. Yeah. And so, but uh, it's been very much on my mind two things on that area. One is that the guy who can get around that cycle fastest builds a heck of a lot more software of better quality in less time. And the other part of this is the hybrid cross-platform development story is not figured out. Like, we're working hard on it, and the fact that Microsoft has decided that that's so important that, you know, we need those guys in-house now, that sort of speaks to this could be the solution. Mm. You know, C-sharp and a flavor of XAML could be the solution for the average developer to be able to respond to his company's needs to be on mobile devices. And that that is exciting to me. I see. I, I really feel like we're still in a place where it's too hard to build good mobile apps, right? You need a very high level of skill to be able to do it. They're tricky to maintain. The app stores are a pain in the butt. The cycle is hard. Like all of those things just mean most organizations cannot afford to make a mobile app and it's going to become a bigger and bigger issue. So making that simpler is really important. You and I have been around for a while. I mean, you've been around a long time and you've seen how difficult it is yes. to build software. Now you've just addressed it like it's doubly so almost for, for mobile, right? Well, and you know, funny, Carl and I have built a keynote around sort of what we've learned from .NET Rocks and yeah. some of it is really looking back into history. That weird time when Windows desktop dominated the world, and I call it a weird time because it was a window of about 10 years. I mean, that's all, right? Before that, we had a, a heterogeneous client world. There was a lot of different kinds of machines yeah. before the PC and Windows dominated. And we're back to that. Like, so this is normal, mm. is a fragmented market of a diversity of clients. And, in, and the only people who want cross-platform development are developers. The customer doesn't care. Yeah, they the don't customer care. just wants to work on their device. I they, agree. They don't care at all. And so they're not prepared to sacrifice very much for your so-called cross-platform needs. Right. And we have seen back in the 80s and 90s cross-platform attempts that just didn't go well right. because it's too big of a sacrifice. So the, you know, the question is, is this time different? If we're now able to build good enough, you know you're always going to be able to beat anything with native if it's important, if that's a feature that matters. But we've got so much horsepower on these devices these days. I mean, it's crazy. Oh boy, now the spreadsheet recalculates in a quarter of a second instead of <laughs> half a second. That's awesome. You know? do, you, do you think it's also like we have to change people's expectations a little bit in terms of that? Like it's, you know, do you think people are seeing this as the holy grail now maybe because of this announcement? Well, again, I think, I don't think the consumer cares at all, right? Okay. They just want the device to work. No, right? I meant developers. But yeah. from a developer perspective, Developers are cautious for a reason, right? Yes. You, you know, you've only got so many hours to work. You have a set of deliverables, right? Nobody told you how many lines of code to write. And it right? seems like every developer has been burned in the past. So well, there's always skepticism. And it, it depends on how much time you've had, right? What's the difference between skepticism and wisdom, right? <laughs> it's like you, you, you learn, and I think it's a very challenging thing 
to have a lot of experience and not allow that to hold you back too. Right. You know, just because you have a scar from that particular practice from 10 years ago doesn't mean you're going to get a scar by doing it again. It's a good analogy. That sort of, oh, that old wound that I got That's playing right. whatever sport I was playing yeah. and did applies you, the software very and, well. And is the, did the only thing you learned from that wound is don't do that? Yes. Or did it actually say, you know, there are ways to do this the way I did it didn't work out that well and you're willing to take it on again? Because I'm also meeting young developers who, you know, one way to phrase it would be say, don't know enough to be afraid, right? They're just going for it with the new tools and the new techniques and they're getting stuff done, you know, they're being successful. Right. And, it, and it, you know, we're at a fairly rapid pace right now. We're exploring a lot of things right now in terms of what it looks like to be a developer going forward. Why do you think it is that, that you know, to a certain extent, I mean, I can understand Google's position on this where theirs is, you know, it's all about the web. But they also have an Android platform. Right. And then you got Apple and they're like, you can understand their position, which is, well, we sell just ungodly amounts of hardware and who cares? We'll but, just tie them into Xcode. There's a bigger philosophy there too, right? Apple has been wildly successful in the walled garden. Yes. Right? Offering the end-to-end -end solution that they validate always works. Yeah, they always say the hardware plus the software. That's right. It's yeah. all got to be together. And there's a clear case for how that has given them an advantage. The problem is they're totally dependent on their ideas to move forward. And there's only so many of them compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So you see them struggling to innovate. And at the same time, there's a price to be paid for an open platform. And Microsoft's recently be attacked for not being open enough. I think if you look at the overarching message coming out of Build, it's like, we're really, really, really open. Yeah, there's sort of that, that homage to um, Gladiator where, are you not entertained? Right. And you feel like Microsoft's kind of putting up their hands like, what more do you yeah. want? You know? What have we got to do? <laughs> but... There's a price to be paid for that openness too, which is there's always going to be rough edges. Yes. It's a lot of different kinds of hardware. It's a lot of different types of devices. And you're trying to build common tooling around those things. Like some stuff's going to work, some stuff's not. Like it's that's challenging. You know, you're not nobody's offering you any guarantees here. They expect you to slug your way through it. So you're a man of the people. You understand the community quite well. What's what's the, is there a lot of optimism around this announcement? I think for the most part, people are really excited, right? Okay. They, they, but there's still a long way to go, right? And uh, I saw Scott Goo talking earlier, and he's like, you know, we acquired them 10 days ago, right? <laughs> so I want it now. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, yeah. you know, having been involved with a number of acquisitions of different organizations over many years, it takes time to merge cultures and to come up with a better plan. Yeah. How do, now that we're all on the same side, you know, that we're really close together, what is the best way to do this, right? And people are asking me, it's like, well, what does this do to the universal platform? Yeah. Like, that's a great question. What, what do you a, think? What do you I think? I think there's a whole bunch of smart people talking about it right now. No, what do you think, Richard? Come well, on. I think the two get along just fine. Okay. That there's an awful lot to be done in that space, right? You know, if you, there's just a lot to be figured out. But Miguel Diacaz is one of the best thinkers in the space. No two ways about it. And he's going to sit down with a number of other best thinkers in the space as they start building a roadmap for how all of this development goes forward. I can't imagine we're not going to benefit from that. Like, right. We're going to get a better story. Right. What else here at Build have we seen? We've seen HoloLens. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's not ready yet. Okay. But it's fun to keep looking at it. Yes. You know. Have you played with one? I absolutely have. I've tried a number of different versions of it over, over the years. You know, I have the advantage of only being a few hours away from Redmond. So I pop down there fairly often to, to you know, help plan shows and, and things like that. So I've had a chance to take it out for a spin a few times. Uh, and I think, A, 
Augmented reality is a way harder problem than virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a more, also being connected to the world, not just inside those goggles, is a very different scope of problem. Yeah, you got wetware plus software plus hardware. But they've also committed to a standalone device, which mm -hmm. is not what any, the VR guys are doing an easier problem, and yet they tether to a PC. Right, but that's very on Microsoft, if you think about it. They've always been about the software, right? But I guess you need a device to kick well, things off. Well, you're going to need a device, but my question is, would, would we have been better off with HoloLens being tethered, needing a computer external to it. Right. They've committed to putting the whole computer on your head. Mm. And part of so part of me just looks at it and goes, we got a Moore's Law problem here. We need a couple more generations of hardware up before we're gonna have enough compute that's cool enough and small enough to actually wear on the head. For me, when it comes to devices, it's all about battery though. So I, I made the sort of quip very jokingly just uh, yesterday about how walking around with one of those things, you're gonna need one of those battery packs reminiscent of the 80s VCR sort of yeah, thing. strapped you, to your yeah, back, right? Exactly. They're, they're talking about an onboard battery life of two hours, yeah. depending on what you're doing, you know? The only, there's been new complaints coming out about HoloLens because they're finally, they're building some new software like games that are really good. Yeah. And A, they're working the hardware so hot, hard that the gear is getting hot on the head. And B, turns out you can kill that battery much faster if you run the machine really hard. Those are totally reasonable things for a computer. Mm. But, you know, again, Moore's Law applies. The next generation of hardware will do more compute for less watts. That extends battery life. Yeah. You said we're, you think we're early. How, how much farther ahead do you think we have to go? How I many think, years do you think we have? I think the hardware we're seeing right now, and this is a pure guess on sure. mine, is probably the, the 22 nanometer hardware. From, from Intel, yep. uh, and the, and that four, 14 is probably in prototype, and that 10 will probably be the good stuff. And 10 is the code name Skylake. It's the stuff that Intel has been delaying because it's extremely hard to do 10 nanometer fabrication, but they have sample quantities. They're starting to build some units on it. So, you know, I don't know if they've done it with HoloLens yet, but that's what I would look at. When I look at knowing how mature hardware needs to be for you to do prototypes like HoloLens, uh, that's my guess, is that it's the 10 nanometer stuff that's going to have enough hor horsepower to have full field of view, better battery life, and it's going to be some time before they're actually going to be able to deliver that. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm always skeptical. You know, a, a bit of a skeptic around these things because I, I always think of my dad or my wife right. or my kids and... You know, it's it's that classic analogy for uh, Jurassic Park where the kid picks up the, the goggles, the first one, he picks up the goggles and the lawyer says to the kid, uh, are they heavy? And the kid says, yeah. And he's like, well, then they're expensive. Put them away. <laughs> and uh, my, my, my quip about HoloLens is, you know, this thing's going to cost an arm and a leg, yeah. probably. It's, it's going to be interesting to know, knowing that Oculus Rift production units came in you know, all what seventy percent higher than their SDK versions of oh, okay. it. So, you know, would that apply to Hololens too? I don't know. That's an yeah. interesting question. It's just be aware there's that variability. You know, I don't know that Google Glass actually cost fifteen hundred, but they charged that for it. Right. But one of the reasons they did is that they replaced Google Glass a couple of times. If you're one of the early explorers on Google Glass, when they made major revisions, they said, send your old stuff back, we'll send you new ones. Yeah. Now, I don't know if HoloLens is going to do that or not, but I think about those things when I think about how we're pricing this so far. Right. And I don't have the sense that this is first and foremost a consumer product. It's way too important in the learning space and in the industrial space to hamper it with consumer requirements when it could be brought in to make businesses very substantially more valuable and with a clear ROI that would justify you know, a multi-thousand dollar price tag. I guess because we're just so consumer oriented thanks to Apple I that think, you can't I think help that's to true. go that way. But I also think 
wouldn't it be good to knock the bugs out of this thing and build up the software base and the ability to develop it on the backs of enterprises so that we can make a less expensive consumer version with a good set of tooling behind it to be able to move it into the consumer space. What's your thoughts on Windows 10? We saw a little bit of that. We saw the ruler, the stencil. Which I, thought I thought was, was very awesome. cool, huh? Yeah, that, that got the biggest sort of ooh. <laughs> well, and in the and in the past, you might have even thought it'd be a new version of Windows, but they sort of committed this idea that there'll never sort of be another version of Windows. They're mm. just going to keep rolling and adding features. Yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah, and I think the code name is Redstone One, mm. right? This is this release in the uh, coming up the next month or two. Um, is the first proof of here's a major upgrade to Windows that's just a part of Windows. And it, and it speaks to this, A, they're, I think they're compensating some issues we've had with Win 10, and they're starting to explore some new ideas of what it looks like. I'm interested to see how the pen stuff goes. Mm. I've been a pen aficionado um, for quite a long time with, with awkward hardware, you know, like the old motion computing tablets and things like that. You know, back when a tablet was an expensive gizmo that you really, you know, didn't want to share around at all because they were fragile. Um, but I'm not, you know, I've learned, I type really well. You know, pen's not my strength, and but most of the stuff that I do, I've managed to work without having to need a pen. So I don't know how much it's going to change things. I'm excited to see Office break out of its shell. Right. Right? Like that, to me, we're talking about the most important productivity tool in the marketplace today. Mm -hmm. And I felt like they've held back a long time. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, I think they have an incredibly huge install base. Yes. They have an incredible legacy of software. So they got a really good software. problem to have. Yeah, they have the, they, they, they have the innovator's dilemma, yeah. right? They have, you know, we have these massive sets of requirements that we built up around us for the millions of customers that use this product, and you can't just jolt them. You know, I remember when they experimented with OneNote in yeah. the early tablet yeah, days yeah, yeah, yeah. with the wheel and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. was really cool, but that's experimentation that you're now starting to see reflected in the overall product. Right. So we've seen enough adoption of the of the tablet, of the surface, you know, those kinds of things for them to say, hey, this is a substantial part of our market space now, and we can start to innovate in this place. And I, and I think it, it's very exciting, but, you know, it's also early days. Yeah, I've always wanted, they, they put out those great, future vision videos yes and you've always wanted that and maybe they're getting closer now well this uh holoportation if you go look for that video you know i think about five six years ago microsoft was doing videos and it was the kids in the classroom sort of separated by a glass wall because they were actually on opposite ends of the planet yes showing each other things and talking back and forth and some of the stuff they've been showing with the latest play software ideas in, in hololens speaks to that except it's better you know they only thought of, okay, we'll have this transparent piece of glass that you just gives you the sense it's a window onto another side. You don't know it's on the other side of the world. Yeah. And what they're showing in the, the, the hollow transportation thing was they're all around you, right? It's the, you know, people can be anywhere around you. You're in a holographic space, essentially, with any number of people being represented within it. Yeah. So, you know, often we underestimate the potential of this technology, too. We, yeah. We're impatient for it to arrive, but we're, you know, we're doing the I want a faster horse thing not actually thinking about how a car is fundamentally different from a horse. Maybe it's just me. I'm pretty happy with where things are at. But I, I mean, I, I'm very sort of, as I said before, I'm very sort of, okay, we'll see how it goes yeah. with these things. Uh, I would say the same thing for IoT. For yep. me, IoT is kind of, all right, well, I'm sure it's going to be fine. But we're just not, I mean, it's hard to think about the full potential of it because yeah. you're not seeing those big theses. You know, one of the luxuries I have these days are the Geek Out episodes on Don and Rocks. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that is fan-driven. People vote on what topic I need to research next. We do a different one every month. But it's got me time to think hard about a lot of these core innovations to the way our civilization currently works. Okay. And so, you know, we, 
have not wrapped our head around the impact of automated driving, you know, and yesterday the Tesla three was, you know, unveiled That is a beautiful car, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? And Elon said point blank, everyone comes with the automated services, right? That's not an option anymore. Yes. They're in all of the cars. We're well on our way to automated driving being on reality. And, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to see governments and organizations very driven to make that happen, happen too. They're going to be excited about it. It's valuable in a lot of different ways. And it's another, it's a very disruptive force in the way that we think about how we move and how we communicate. You know, the internet of things is more about the things. Yes. Well, one of the things is that transportation device. Yeah. And the fact that you do not have to focus on the road the whole time, you know, you weren't anyway, we're in California. I've just been killed by cars a dozen times while I've been here. <laughs> Even though I have the right of way, that guy's got an iPhone in yeah, his yeah, face, right? Yeah. So the fact that the machine's going to drive for him, it's going to save lives, but they're going to just communicate more and the devices are going to transform. I struggle with it. I mean, yes, if the automated driving there is, is available and there and yep. it works well, great. Um, introduce new things for me to look at, new displays, yep. like we saw in the BMW demo mm -hmm. um, but I have a real problem with it when your hands are on the wheel the kids are in the back and there's people crossing the Absolutely. road and oh yeah I have lunch uh, space for lunch available at Thursday I'll get your eyes back on the road please <laughs> like stop looking at your calendar when I think the simple solution to that problem is don't give that responsibility to the person anymore yeah right and and we don't actually want it we want to be somewhere we don't actually want to deal with the driving yeah you know I, I think very quickly driving will go the same way that horse riding went Right. If you love it, there's a place for you to go do it. Keep your auto, your manual car over there. Take your automated car to get there, and then go drive your manual car. If one came out, would you get one? In a uh, second. Really? Yep. And I love to drive. But you know what? I'm also busy, right? <laughs> I do the drive to, to Redmond you know, almost every month, two and a half to three hours each way. And sometimes I stay late. I've had to pull over, stop at a rest stop, and take a nap to try and get home, right? The idea that I could simply flip the car on and say, okay, take me to building 25 and then just start planning for my meetings. That's a good idea. You know, it's a pretty powerful idea. Switching gears just uh, slightly. Um, some could argue that, you know, there's been a bit of a, a lull in the .NET development community in terms of just grabbing the attention of developers overall. Like we saw recently Stack Overflow published its 2016 survey results. Sure. There's a huge amount of dot, not .NET developers, but there's a massive amount of JavaScript sure. developers. Do you see that kind of moving back to .NET with announcements that you've no. seen around I Xamarin think, or anything like that? I think, you know, it was JavaScript, SQL, C Sharp. Yes. Right? I have no problem with that order. Okay. Like, that is completely, utterly reasonable, right? But if you look at people building serious production-level JavaScript-driven software these days, you look at what the Angular team is doing. Correct. They're using aspects of C Sharp, like strong typing, to make their JavaScript more reliable. So, you know, that's what TypeScript's actually about, is about building really maintainable JavaScript. So we're compensating for the challenges that JavaScript has when we have to build software of that nature. So not every piece of software looks like that anymore. One of the side effects of the massive increase in availability of software and massive need of software, there's an awful lot of places where a, a lightweight, loosely typed, dynamic language like JavaScript is exactly what you need. It's the least amount of time to sufficient code to get the job done. Right. C Sharp's gonna live in a place where better code needs to be made in the sense of more people need to work on it, more people need to reference it over time, more people need, you know, it has to be sustained for longer in different ways. You know, it's not one of those things you write once, leave alone, right? right? Which 
JavaScript's great for that. C Sharp requires more discipline, which is why it takes longer, but it makes a product that's more disciplined so that you can maintain it when it needs to be maintained. I asked that because when we saw VS Code uh, go open source, yep. and you saw that it was predominantly written in TypeScript, yep. you're like, wow, like, what does that say about C Sharp and all that sort of stuff? And this is coming from Microsoft. I mean, sure. you can read, you, like, the, I've got the tinfoil hat on right, right. now. But so. at the same time, you can also see that Microsoft completely rewrote C Sharp into this compiler as a service project that, yes. that, is, that is Rosalind, which has also created this Cambrian explosion in what you can do with C Sharp. So the C Sharp is showing up everywhere. Right. And they didn't have to write all that code. Right? Other people can grab on, include that compiler. Like, we're just, just starting to touch the surface of what you can do with what Rosalind, you know, the capabilities that Rosalind gives you. To be able to simply write a coded expression as part of an algorithm inside of your app, right? Code as data that then is you know, dynamically compiled and executed. Like, we're only starting to see that stuff. We saw an example of that during the keynote when uh, Miguel was on stage. Yep. He was doing the updating of the docs basically in line yes. and seeing the changes occurring Seems real time. And there's a bunch of other moving parts to make that happen. Yes. But it, it is a strength of a language built that way. I would point out, JavaScript's built that way too, right? V, the V8 runtime, the Chakra runtime, those are essentially compilers as a service as well. So, and it's, again, you know, one of the things where I think we're going to look at for every great language going forward is that ability to reference itself, to be called within itself, to be added to on its uh, dynamically with some form of attributing system. Like, that's what it looks like. So... You know, it, it almost doesn't matter. You know, we've, we've hit a place in the marketplace today where we're starting to really not care what operating system it is anymore, right? Like, it doesn't really matter mm. bash, a bash prompt inside of Windows and so on. Like, we're just, they're just not that far apart anymore. We're not that far away from the language just not mattering that much anymore. So it's Ted Neward's sort of dream of a polyglot a polyglot vision, if you will. Well, it more, it's it's more Esperanto oh, yes, than it yeah. is multilingual. Yes, it's recognizing me, yeah. that I may be writing in JavaScript, but I'm using TypeScript, so I'm using C-sharp metaphors to make my JavaScript work a certain way. I can do dynamic calling in C-sharp, which makes it look shockingly JavaScript-ish. Whatever you need to do, you can do. What language you use is almost irrelevant. So let's wrap things up. I just uh, want to let the listeners know where you're going to be at next, what conferences, et cetera. Where can they find you? So we're at Builds. Yes. Two weeks from now, I'm at Dev Intersection in okay. Swan Hotel in Orlando. <laughs> the next Dev Intersection after that is the last week of October, 24 to 27, uh, at the MGM Grand in Vegas. That's our big, big show. We are doing the Europe show again. So oh. the week of November 14th, we're in Harlem, which is a suburb of Amsterdam. Uh, going to do our second European show. Glad that we could actually get that together. Um, goodness, and beyond that, I'll probably be at Ignite, but as the run as radio guy, because right. it's more of an IT-oriented yeah. show. And, uh, and you'll catch me online. You know, we make 208 podcasts a year, so there's and lots of chances to What talk episode to us. are you up to now on Dot Rocks? Twelve seventy-five. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, and no stopping, I guess. You know, if uh, I could do five a week, I would. It's, it's not for a lack of content, my friend. Okay. There's so much to talk about. I never feel like I'm out of content. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, .netrocks.com. Uh, check Richard out. Of course, his colleague, uh, Mr. Carl Franklin, as well. And uh, thanks for chatting with us, Rich. Really my good. pleasure, John. Good to All see right. you. Cheers.